Nighttime on Still Waters. This is NB506812, narrowcasting into the night from somewhere on Britain's waterways. Well, I can't welcome you aboard the Erica tonight, as at the moment I'm many miles away, balanced on Norfolk's wind-whipped coastline of roaring Corsican pines and dunes and marron grass and wildings of salt marsh ghosted by the haunting cry of curlew and oyster catcher. And so, just for tonight, this is a coastal episode narrowcasting into a bitter January night, to you, wherever you are. And although I'm not on board the Erica, and the waters, real and figurative, are far from still, I'm so pleased to be able to be here, and that you could make it too. So we might not be able to welcome you on board, but the welcome is nevertheless just as warm. It's an achingly raw night, with a wind like a wetted knife. And I got the kettle on, so come inside into the warmth. Make yourself comfortable and warm yourself up. So far this year, for a variety of reasons, I've not been able to record any episodes. And I wanted to come here and explain what's been happening and the reasons behind my absence. The trouble is I've not got any of my recording gear with me and I'm going to try and make the best of things and hope that this laptop's built-in microphone is going to be up to the job. I've propped everything up on Dad's dining room table and it all sounds a little bit hollowy, but it's the best place that I can find. And I hope that the quality is not too bad, that you can at least hear what I'm trying to say. Well, I left you at the end of 2023 on Christmas Eve, and many thanks for all your messages and comments and best wishes. My plan was to resume podcasting on the 7th of January. This is because we knew that at the beginning of the year, both Donna and I have various pinch points with our jobs. And also, we got a boat safety inspection that's due. And there were a number of smallish jobs that needed to be done to make sure, as best we could, that the boat's ready and complying with all the latest regulations. However, you will no doubt be aware that there was no podcast on the 7th of January. Well, I mentioned at the tail end of last year, around Dad's birthday, that he wasn't feeling the best. And unfortunately, Dad's been admitted to hospital here in Norfolk, where he's having four litres of fluid drained from one of his lungs. It's therefore not at all surprising that he started to become so breathless and fatigued over Christmas. But the first thing is that he is responding to treatment and, for the most part, actually quite enjoying his time in hospital at least at the moment. He certainly sounds and looks a heap better, although he's still undergoing the train and courses of very strong antibiotics, which are having uh, quite a major effect on him, understandably. And also, 
just as understandably, he's feeling very weak and slightly hampered by his chest drain. But he is up and about and can sit in his chair beside his bed for short spells. And he's also highly enjoying hospital food, which he heartily recommends. He doesn't feel up to reading at the moment, but said that there was plenty of things happening around him on the ward to keep him occupied, as as well as being surrounded by lots of very interesting-looking machines that flash and beep. And Wendy's already had to restrain him from taking down one of them to have a look at its works. But this is the first time in his life that Dad has encountered any serious health. The worst he suffered up till now has really just been flu. And he's never been in hospital as a patient before. So understandably, he's feeling a little wobbly emotionally. As there's a lot of new experiences that he's having to process and work through. And as he said, the trouble is when you don't look your age, he's 95. Both he and other people tend to forget that his body is old and not so up to bouncing back. Nevertheless, despite feeling justifiably a bit fragile, he is pretty perky. And this week he's having further tests to see what caused such a build-up of fluid. As Wendy lives two hours away and we live four hours from Dad, there's been quite a lot of driving around over those last couple of weeks. and So this is one of the reasons why I've not been able to record a podcast and have been fairly silent on social media. As we jokingly told Dad when we were all together, that he certainly does pick his time. We've a busy period at work, a boat inspection, which then keeps getting postponed because the inspector goes down with COVID or something or other and has to be then put on for another time. It does mean that one of us has to shuttle backwards and forwards to the boat. And Wendy has the electricians coming into her house to start some major sorting out of her electrics. I think what I'm trying to say is that, in a very roundabout way, that there's been a lot going on these past couple of weeks, and potentially into the next few too. Consequently, I've just not had the time, or to be honest, the mental space to be able to do any recording. Recently, I've begun to feel that anchor that's held fast for so long move. And it's all quite stressful and intense for all of us. But things could be a lot worse, and we're all coping well and making the best of things. The thing is, life has a habit of throwing curveballs. Things don't go to plan. And actually, when they do, they often don't quite turn out according to the blueprint of our imaginations and expectations. And despite the destinations that we fix within our sights, the path follows its own twists and turns. The river runs where it will. And this year has certainly started with a bang that's rather left us reeling. And it's so tempting to say during times like these, especially when our plans don't fall out the way in which we'd envisage that, ah, things have all gone wrong. 
But of course, they haven't. Things have just happened. The leaf falls where it does because it's part of the rich flow of existence. Where it falls and when it falls is neither right nor wrong. It just is. That's the way of things. It makes little sense to say that the river has gone wrong just because of the geology that we encounter a section of cataracts and rapids in it. I suppose part of the problem is that I was born and brought up in a culture that finds this concept of just flowing really hard to accept. It's a culture based upon adapting our worlds to suit our purposes and our desires. If there's an obstacle between us and our aims, it's our right and even our social and moral duty to remove it. Where there is no vision, the proverb says, the people perish. Although it fails to mention its corollary, with this particular people, where there is a vision, it seems that everything else must perish. And ours is a culture based upon and embedded in the concept of casting mountains into seas, if not theologically, then by brute force or technology. If the difficulty remains or the planned objective is not reached, it's counted as a failure. A failure that bites deeply personal into our marrow. It's evidence of our weakness, some yawning deficit in our character or our ability. Failure must be due to our lack of belief or our lack of moral strength or capacity. Control our destiny. Our purpose is to adapt and transform to suit our purpose. And if we cannot, or if we fail in that endeavour, then it's simply proof that we are not up to the job. When I was young, I remember hearing a story at school of two raindrops running down a window pane. I cannot remember the details of the story itself, but I always remember the stentorian message delivered to me by my moral betters. Strive for great things, no matter how hard they be. Do not, it warned, be like the little raindrop that followed the path of least resistance. And for a while I tried to follow that dictum, go against the flow, swim against the tide, for that's what we humans do, isn't it? Beat the odds, rise above the natural order of things. But there's always a part of me that admired the timeless wisdom of that little raindrop. For it was neither weak nor lazy, as I was first taught. It was simply being true to what a raindrop on a window pane naturally was. There was a path for it, after all. Although it had no claim or sense of ownership of it, 
but simply followed its way down, as I follow the desire paths of fox and rabbit across the summer meadows. Riding the flow is the most natural response there can be. And it was only much later did I come across other cultures for whom flowing with the rhythms of life and death, with acceptance and gratitude, was at the very heart. And I had at first to wrestle with the castigations of its passive fatalism and lack of human endeavour. Both charges so far from the truth. A sense of progress, a sense of journey, of following a deeply meaningful path, individual and collective, is at the heart of them all. But all this doesn't make times like these any easier, though. Times when the unexpected and the unwelcome seem to pile up and hit you on every side. Times when anchors begin to shift. No, they're never easy, are they? These times when things don't go the way you'd planned. And I guess it's natural to feel bruised and battered, uncertain and confused, anxious, helpless, frustrated. But these are not signs of weakness. They're signs of being alive, being human, Born on the winds of existence. I'm a great fan of the band Chains. They're a British indie band that first became popular in the 80s. They're eccentric, vibrant, passionate, thoughtful, insightful, extremely well read. They're still recording and touring. But it's one of the early and possibly the most famous song of theirs that has come back to me recently. As it does quite often when things get hard. It's their song, Sit Down. It starts, I sing myself to sleep a song from the darkest hour. Secrets I can't keep in sight of the day. Swing from high to deep extremes of sweet and sour. Hope that God exists, hope and pray. Drawn by the undertow, my life is out of control, but I believe this wave will bear my weight, so let it flow. And there you've got it. I believe this wave will bear my weight, so let it flow. Let the flow of the river take you. Follow the twisting path of foxtrot through the fescue and lady smock. For he knows the terrain far better than you. Let the battering winds sculpt and shape you into the form that suits you the best for your environment, as it does the hawthorn tree. And the falling leaf falls to the ground, for that is now where it belongs. But it's not easy, this flowing. It goes against our cultural instincts, even if it is evident everywhere around us. I have stood and watched the great oaks in the teeth of a storm that rages up the cataclysm of a hill. 
and I have watched their branches break and fall as the wind whips against my face. It can be overwhelming, and I know that feeling, and I can see it too in Dad, and that's the hardest. Overwhelmed, punch drunk by the assailing winds, I have not as yet learnt the lesson of the Hawthorn. And the anchor is beginning to shift. The anchor that is held secure in the seabed of life for so long. I feel it shift. Coming free. An unmooring. A loosing is happening. There are tides and currents awaiting to take the small boat. To who knows where. Who knows where. No, it's not easy, this loosing, this unmooring, the falling of the leaf into the lap of the wind, the joining with the spit-wet soil. It's why we need each other. It's why places like this here are so important, to feel the other's recognition of our existence and our own unmoorings. And it's there too in James's song. For it continues. Those who feel the breath of sadness sit down next to me. Those who find they're touched by madness sit down next to me. Those who find themselves ridiculous sit down next to me. In love, in fear, in hate, in tears, sit down, sit down, or sit down next to me. And so, this is where you find me tonight, in a house, a short walk up from the small harbour, with the daily rise and fall of fishing boats and small yachts and dinghies. And for now I am here, under wide grey skies of gull cry and the needling curves of turn, and the scent of crab pots and the sting of diesel and the tinkle of slack halyards against the mast. Perched on the edge of the grey north sea that bounds and rages upon the harbour bar, mile or two out to sea, high on the north Norfolk coastline. And the miles of tightly embroidered lavender of salt marsh, labyrinth by serpentine creeks, mud-walled and dripping deep, sweeps and weeps into a chasming grey bell of a landscape that knows all about unmooring. The echoed antiphonies of wild geese call Shepherd us aright here, leading us on, calling us on to who knows where, who knows where. And this lavender will once more bloom again, and the gulls turn on knifing winds against the sky of cobalt blue, sun blind and warm, and the tide will rise and ebb rise and ebb against the weed slime of the harbour wall. 
and the anchor shifts beneath me. And I feel the call and tug of waters deep. I'm not sure if, after all of this, whether or not I have explained where I've been, but this is where I am, in body and in heart. I know that some of you have asked if everything is okay. Yes, it is, but not. And that's okay. And I'm sorry I haven't had the chance to let you know before now. And I'm not sure when I will be back, beyond the assurance that I will be back sometime. I just need to walk along this path with Dad for a while. So thank you for your kindness and your wonderful words. And yes, Lee, I certainly hear you and am thinking about how to stay in touch, especially for those who are not on social media. No, you haven't missed any emails. I still can't quite work out how to make all of that work. But it is on my to-do list. And I also do want to say a big thank you to Captain Arlo from over in New Jersey for becoming our newest lock wheeler. And thank you also to all the other lock wheelers. Rebecca Russell, Alison on the Narrowboat Mucker, Derek and Pauline Watts, Anna V, Sean James Cameron, Orange Cookie, Donna Kelly, Mary Keane, Tony Rutherford, Arabella Holtzapfel, Rory with MJ and Kayla, Narrowboat Precious Jet, Linda Reynolds-Birkins, Richard Noble, Carol Ferguson, Tracy Thomas, Mark and Tricia Stowe, and Madeline Smith. And I also want to say a thank you to you for being there. I'm just going to leave you with a very short passage from John Moriarty's book, Dreamtime. It seems particularly apt as he finishes with a quote from Julian of Norwich. Even if your mind has mountains, even if it has cliffs of fall frightful, even if it has chasms and deeps no man fathomed, don't be afraid. For all shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of thing shall be well. Until the next time, and may it be soon, this is a land-born me, under the sky spun with wild geese and gull, signing off for now, and wishing you a very restful and peaceful night. Good night. Temperature outside. Minus 0.3. Inside, 20 degrees. Humidity, 87%. Dew point, minus 1 degree. Wind direction, south-southwest. Wind strength, 21 miles per hour. Barometric pressure, 998.7 falling. Cloud cover, 
50%. Cloud ceiling, none. Precipitation, nil. Moon phase, 36.7%. Waxing crescent. Day length, 8 hours, 16 minutes. Sunset, 1625. Sky casting, 808.